0: Hey, so, oh, what do you say? Yo. yo. <laughs> get with the time. Sorry, yo. To, I'm, kidding, I'm kidding, This week on the podcast, we've got Lindsay Beal. She wrote Sensory Smart. She is an OT. Um, I'm really looking forward to this one. So we're going to drive to Carlisle, because that's where we're going now. We're going to see the snowman. And we're going to have a listen to it on the way. And then when we get there, we'll film the post-amble. But this week, um, we've got the Advent giveaways. I hope you all entering those every day i'm wearing my glasses new we glasses too. jamie's new glasses we finally got them wear your glasses and uh, what else the 500 pound bumper giveaway is going to be ending on the 15th of december so go enter that and yeah we're gonna go watch a snowman we i'm you. gonna play smash all day after that and we're gonna listen to the podcast see you later we love a net and we love a jet. we love to help and that's a fact so we have made it our mission to find stuff out from diagnosis and education, slim it out of your frustration. Check the folks who've there too. Collect it together and share it with you. If you don't know someone we should speak to, send them our way, and that's what we'll do. we like to have our sensory netters. You know what?
1: Right, hello everybody. It's Jenny back again uh, with this week's show, and today I'm very lucky to be talking to Lindsay Beale. Hi Lindsay. Hi. Hi. How are you today? I'm fantastic and I'm so happy to join you. Thank you very much. So Lindsay Beal, many of you will know anyway, you'll have heard her name, you may even have read her books, but she's got a wonderful website called SensorySmarts.com. and the main thing we're going to be talking about today is the recently third edition of Raising a Sensory Smart Child, which you co-wrote with Nancy Pesky. Um, And I was very impressed to see a forward by Temple Grandin. So we can go into all of that. So I got a little um, preview of it a a month or two ago before it went out there, didn't I? You sent me a a little preview of it. So I've had a a good look at that. So there's lots to talk about. Um, Now, if you uh, want to follow Lindsay, then you can find her on Facebook on raising a sensory smart child or children. And um, your other one is sensory processing Challenges.
2: Challenges. That's right. Right. So you can find it there.
1: So let's start at the beginning. You're, You're an occupational therapist
2: by trade? I am. I am. But I didn't start there. I worked for many years as a writer and I wanted to write books and, you know, beautiful poetry. I wrote lousy poetry and I didn't write any books. Instead, I wrote a lot of junk mail. A lot of um, things that you would get in the mail from wonderful organizations like the Bronx Zoo here in New York, um, different jewelry companies and banks and I was very bored frankly Um, and I thought about what I would like to do to change that because that's no good to go through your life bored with what you're doing and um, I hired an occupational therapy student to help my stepson with his math, because I couldn't. He was in fourth grade, it was beyond me by then. Um, So she came in and started talking about occupational therapy, and I realized that I had actually volunteered in an OT department in high school, but I didn't know what that was at the time. Okay. So it was kind of, you know, kismet. And I went to NYU, New York University, here in in the city on a full scholarship, which I got through the New York City Department of Education. So I became an OT in the city schools, which was not easy and not exactly what I had had in mind, because at that time the schools were a disaster. I had to bring my own TP to the loo. Uh, the schools were just a mess so I soon left the schools and became uh, an early intervention specialist uh, for children ages zero to three I don't know if you have that in the UK um, and other under under a different name I think yeah okay so the mother of a child that I was working with as he what we call aged out at age 3 she had been working as a writer, Nancy Pesky, uh, for her entire career. And she said, well, we should write a book together. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to, you know, things are coming around full circle. And indeed, by becoming an occupational therapist, I've now written two books, and many, many uh, magazine articles, and so on. So A take-home for everybody who's listening today is like you think you're gonna do one thing you're moving in one direction and then you totally turned around and you never know where you're gonna end up and it's always the the path is always um, beautiful Mm -hmm. and brings you to some pretty incredible places where you may not realize that you could actually travel that path well I'm the kind of person where if I get an idea, like writing a book, your first book is a huge project, of course. And I'm the kind of person where I have to visualize the end product. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I work with a child now, I think where is this child going to be in 5, 10, 15, 20 years? And that helps me to figure out the steps yeah. to get the child there. So, I envision the book itself what what would the cover look like? Mm-hmm. Um, who would write the foreword? Mm-hmm. And of course, the person that came to mind is Temple Grandin because she was indeed so uh, important in in teaching me about sensory issues and people with autism and what it means to help and understand people um, who who Experience the world differently. Yeah. So, at that time, you could Google her name, mm-hmm. and her email would come up. You can't do that anymore. No. She's become a bit of a rock star, hasn't yeah, she? Yeah, she has. So I sent her an effusive email. You know, you're so fantastic. You've been so important to me, and I'm I'm gonna write this book. I'm gonna co-write this book, and I'd love you to write the foreword. Mm-hmm. And sent pressed go, and 20 minutes later, the phone rang, and it was Temple Grandin. Really? Yeah, saying, okay, I'll do it, but first got to write the book. And yeah. I was like, oh, oh, sequential, logical, you know, this makes sense, and and so he did. So now it's in the third edition. Wow. Uh, and this is what the third edition looks like. And the first edition came out in 2005, the second edition in 2009 for... For this new edition, uh, we wrote a new chapter on helping kids um, with sensory issues use technology in a responsible way. Uh, I rewrote the chapter on autism, reflecting the new thinking and the new science. Um, There's a lot of new material. So, you know, you start in one place and you end up somewhere totally different, including being here with you today. Yeah, don't get
1: stressed, absolutely. so, so what is it that, you know, you went and did the early intervention thing and you met Nancy. So what, what was it that, there's all kinds of routes you could have gone, but you were clearly attracted to the sensory side of things. What was it that grabbed
2: your interest in that? To be honest, I went into oc- occupational therapy to work with people with mental health issues. That was my idea. Cause I thought a bit about becoming a psychotherapist, um, or even possibly a psychiatrist, and I said, you know, I really need, I'm a person that needs more um, immediate practical, not, not that those other therapies are not essential yeah. and fantastic, it's just it was a better fit for me to become an OT. So there I was working in the schools, because that was part of the deal. Yeah. Uh, the school system would pay for my tuition uh, in exchange for working for them for a few years and i loved working with a range of children with physical disabilities with learning differences um with autism you know different places on the autism spectrum and what i kept noticing what cut across all of these different types of kids and different issues were were these sensory processing difficulties Mm -hmm. and It really reminded me of my childhood sitting in a classroom under fluorescent lighting and really having a very hard time Yeah. and being uncomfortable in my clothing. I I just, I could relate to it so much. And I I could, I became very good at picking up what was going on with kids. I mean, I, I learned how to, you know, more scientifically assess it in, in a more objective way, but yeah. there was just an understanding, like an innate understanding mm-hmm. of what these kids were going through. So, more and more, um, the sensory processing skills underlie everything that our kids do um, and, and how they learn, and if there's any difficulty with that, we have to deal with that before we can help with learning, higher-level learning. Um, you know, we have to do them simultaneously, yeah. of course. But uh, that, that's why I really wanted to focus on sensory processing.
1: Okay, because I know, I mean, it's I lo- love the fact in the title of the book, it's the, you've got sens- raising sensory smart children. And then from what I've read, um, Nancy's son, Cole, um, she says that he got kind of his sensory smarts. So basically strategies, I suppose for coping with the world Is that where the title came from?
2: It came from sensory smarts really has to do with teaching parents teaching children um, Teaching teachers and teaching therapists as well yeah. to really yeah. understand how your sensory system functions mm-hmm. and um how to thrive in our sensory world. yeah and having those like kind of like street smarts. yeah having the sensory smarts to be like, you know that's a problem for me. I have these tools, I have these strategies uh, and I can use them in a socially acceptable way. Yeah, yeah, okay,
1: that makes sense. And just just because we've got a mix of UK and USA audiences in in the UK, um in recent years they now no longer diagnose sensory processing disorder separately uh, in in its own right it's now everything is under the umbrella of autism and all of those bits are just seen as different parts of autism is that similar in the usa
2: or completely different i wish i could say it's completely different but it is not um there are uh Child development experts who are recognizing sensor- sensory processing disorder, mm-hmm. used to be called sensory integration dysfunction, um, and will say, you know, who will diagnose that, but it's not an official diagnosis. I believe, well, here, the American Psychiatric Association, um, uh, APA, Psychological Association, I'm, you know what, I'm blanking out on which one. <laughs> It is, but they have a diagnostic manual um, of disorders and sensory processing disorder did not make it into the new revision. Therefore, it doesn't exist, Mm -hmm. um, except it was included as a symptom, a criterion for diagnosing autism. Okay. So you... In your experience, do you see them as, I mean,
1: obviously quite often you get people with autism who have sensory challenges. Um, But do you ever see people that have sensory challenges without autism in your
2: opinion? Or do you think they are closely linked? Oh my goodness, yes. Um, The vast majority of people with autism, and I'm gonna use both kinds of language here, people with autism, and autistic people because I don't know about in the UK but we have a, a, a discussion going on about the semantics person so first. okay yeah um, so the vast majority I want to say you know upwards of 90% of people who are autistic have sensory processing difficulties yeah so but however just because someone has sensory processing difficulties, they absolutely do not may not meet the other essential criterion for autism. Mm-hmm. So one doesn't, you know necessarily equal the other. I see kids with um, ADHD attention difficulties. I see children with anxiety disorders or just anxiety difficulties, kids with learning differences, kids who are exceptionally gifted, right? When we think about sensory processing disorder, it speaks to differences in nervous system wiring, and so does the giftedness. There's like a great connectivity uh, in those kids. I also see it in children who have nothing else that is unusual about them, or yeah. diagnosable about them. And the great thing is, there is now science to prove it. Yeah. And I can talk about that study uh, briefly if you like. Yeah. No, it'd be
1: interesting. Yeah. Okay.
2: So there have been there have been research studies over the years since um, the early two thousands. Uh, conducted by uh, Lucy Jane Miller and her colleagues out in Colorado here in the US showing that people with sensory differences have have different electrodermal responses to sensory input and they've measured people with autism versus people with attention difficulties versus neurotypical people when I say people they're they're studying children these are occupational therapists, uh, you know, and researchers who have found this. And the data has been apparently unconvincing. But there's some research that's happening out of the University of Southern California. Um, There was an initial study in 2013 and a huge one in 2016 that put people in MRI machines, functional MRI machines, and actually very objectively studied the brain and how it's functioning and what's different in the brain of someone with sensory issues, someone with autism and someone who's purely neurotypical. And what they found was that people with sensory issues have a different rate, and this gets technical, but don't be afraid, A different rate of diffusion of water molecules in the back of the brain. Right. So that difference that speaks, that indicates different functioning in the back of the brain. And that's the part of the brain where people are um, processing most of the sensory input that comes in. So people with. Diagnosed with sensory issues. I can't remember the exact um, confirming rate, but the researchers could, it was a double blind study, of course. Yeah. Any decent research is. And they were able to say that person has sensory processing challenges above 90%, with above 90% accuracy. Wow. Interesting, right? Yeah. Now you might think, well, what about people with attention disorders, right? Yeah. Is you know sometimes we think, oh, he's bouncing off the walls. It's it's not sensory seeking. It's it's ADHD. It's ADD. They found a set of children who had different rates of water diffusion in the front of their brains. Wow. So that's pretty objective structural. evidence that there's some there's something very real going on so I do anticipate a time coming where sensory processing disorder becomes a diagnosable disorder now that there's this hard indisputable evidence coming out
1: yeah absolutely because at the moment it feels like the system slightly lets those people down because, oh yeah. Yeah, because you, you, you're just put in one camp, I suppose, and right. it's
2: not the full picture of where they are. Right, and I don't know if you have the same thing happening. Sometimes the evaluators will say, you know, let's just put the autism label on it mm-hmm. so you can mm-hmm. get the services you need. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, and that's hard because there are people who are autistic that need those services and they're not the same services that are required. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of a mess. We're, we're growing into this.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Knowledge and information about it and understanding of it is growing all the time and yeah. everything else is struggling to catch up. That's right. Yeah, that's right. okay. So going, going back to your, your book, um, which is just so practical in terms of what parents and teachers and everyone can actually do to really, really help and understand first and also help. Uh, But you talk a lot about the sensory diet um, as well. So can you explain to people what what you mean by that?
2: Okay. Sensory diet is a term that was coined by uh, Pat Wilbarger many years ago. Mm -hmm. And it's not a term that I love because I don't like to diet. (laughs) But we... When we think about a sensory diet, it's, you know, any kind of diet is what we put in our bodies throughout the day. Yeah. That's our diet. Yeah. So, a sensory diet is a very well thought out plan for how to, if you will, feed a person's nervous system, their brain and their body, mm-hmm. throughout the day. Yeah. So that their level of arousal is at that just right level kids who are um hyper responsive hyper reactive oversensitive to sensory input their nervous system arousal level is up here yes. right they're always at like this wired you know fight or flight state yes. um and kids who are under sensitive or sluggish um hypo reactive their nervous system level's kind of down here. And a sensory diet is designed to help the child, the teen, the adult reach that just right state. Yeah. The same way you might go for a run before going to work in the morning so that you feel right. Yep. It's the same kind of thing for our kids. Yeah. So for our kids, it, it's very individualized. I can't tell you tell you, Do these five things and your kid will be great. Yeah. I I wish I could do that. Boy, uh, do I wish. But it's not like that. You know, everyone is different. Mm -hmm. And even within yourself, your needs change throughout the day. They change from day to day, week to week. So it's it's a fluid kind of thing. Um, But generally, it consists of multi sensory input that is preferably simultaneous Mm -hmm. so that the person um, is comfortable at a level that's not overstimulating. We have to take that person where they're at and help them get to the middle. So, for the persons who's in like high alert, it's got to be very calming, rhythmic mm-hmm. kinds of input. Rocking in a rocking chair, listening to the music that that individual finds calming. It yeah. may not be what we think is calming. Yeah. For me to relax, I listen to Nine Inch Nails. Don't don't ask. It just like it calms me down. Another yeah. person would make them like yes. go you know not um, So, so that calming input for the hypersensitive person, or that arousing input for the hyposensitive person. Mm -hmm. And it's very important to remember with sensory diet that you can't like jump a person from here to here. If someone is upset and you say calm down,
1: Mm
2: -hmm. uh uh -uh. that's not, uh, it's not gonna do it. No. Um, Mm -hmm. If you teach someone who's very upset, take five deep breaths, they're gonna do this <gasps> <gasps> yeah,
1: yeah.
2: because they're so upset and breathing so shallow, shallowly, and that raises the blood pressure.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: You know, so it's um, it's taking the person, setting up the environment so that is conducive mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. self-regulating um, state yeah. Um, yeah. for the upset person. It might be finding. Uh, A a dimly a a softly lit room with gentle music and gentle visuals that that person enjoys Um, maybe getting them to suck on a sucking candy or uh, drinking water through like a nozzle sports type bottle yeah yeah that kind of thing Um, and engaging in rhythmic input that makes them feel better often movement we get in especially for kids whose bodies and brains are really built to move, yeah. we need yeah. to use movement to get them feeling better um, as part of their sensory diet. Sometimes um, sitting on a ther- physio ball, just sitting on it and bouncing a little bit. Yeah. Think about yeah. like bouncing a baby, we do it instinctively with infants, right? Rocking and bouncing, creating that same organizing input, For an older person, um, you know, school age child, a teenager, us um, are are, are, our own parents, right? How are we going to do that? Um, So getting them to move in a way that is right for where they are at. Um, For some people, they do need to run around in circles. They really need it. They're, they're, Kids will tend, kids especially, will tend to seek out what it is that their body needs. They don't know how to do it in the way we would like them to do it or the way we think is most beneficial. What you want to do is you want to start to organize it through a sensory diet. It's like planning the day's menu so that if you know your child is bouncing off the walls right at dinner time, Mm -hmm. because that's often a a bad time, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: About half an hour before dinner time, you are going to give them a sensory snack that they need, uh, you know, something for their system to feed on so that they can calm down. So it might be jumping on a mini trampoline with a safety bar. It might be doing laps. It may be going for a swim, going to the playground. Um, If you don't have a trampoline or are concerned about trampolines, you can put a mattress on the floor and have the child Mm -hmm. jump on that. If you don't want a mattress on the floor, you can take uh, some masking tape and make a square and have the child jump inside the square. Um, It's less input, but it's okay too. So it's this kind of thing. So movement. Body awareness, pushing the joints together, very important. The vestibular movement system, which is in the, uh, located in the inner ear, and the proprioceptive system, which is constitutes your body awareness, and that's in the joints, muscles, and connective tissue of your body. They work together like a GPS unit, telling us, telling your child where he or she is at all times on planet Earth. It's very important to know where you are, Yeah. right? Yeah. So when you get that kind of input, um, it's very literally grounding for yeah. the person. Yeah. Adding in some music, some auditory kinds of things, um, following the person's preference, thinking about visuals, giving visuals that are soothing. Right, Kids go to school all day and it's so intense, all the stuff going on, all the kids, all the stuff on the walls. I don't know how the UK schools are, but US schools, I don't know, there's too much on the walls. I get a little nutty and then the fluorescent lights Mm -hmm. are bouncing down and our sensitive kids can see the flicker and hear it too. Mm -hmm. So we need to, at school, get them away from that stuff. Give them a break.
1: Yeah, yeah, makes total sense. So, if someone's at home, either got a child or they're maybe thinking about themselves and they're thinking, "Have I got this sensory processing thing?" Same. What what would what, be the things that you would same. say would be red flags to think, "Yeah, maybe"? Because where, because where, I think everyone is, you know, I I can get noise sensitive, but I don't think I, I don't think I'm in the same. So, where does it start and stop? When
2: does it become such that it needs intervention? It needs support. Right. It's very much a matter of degree. And you're right. We all have these things. All children have these things. I have like these little quirks. Yeah. Toddlers mm-hmm. become um, some more selective eaters somewhere around age two and a half, three. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, oh, I don't like that. I like this. I don't want this. You know, they, the terrible twos yeah. or the terrific twos, depending on how you see them. Um, we all have them. And it's, it's part of all of this stuff is just part of being human.
1: Yep.
2: It's a matter of degree. So there's a big difference between your sensory preference and intolerance and something that would prevent you from doing what you need to be doing. Yeah. Right. So interfering with learning, interfering with working, if you're a child interfering with playing, interfering with following the basic rules, and um, responsibilities of of being a member of your household and your classroom and your larger community. When it starts to be that, that, Mm
1: -hmm. then
2: you know you need to get some help. Yeah,
1: that makes sense. Um, Can you give me an example of someone that you've worked with who has been in a real struggling place and and how you've changed that for them with, with the work that you do or the strategies that you've provided?
2: Like one of your great success stories. Okay. I have so many. I'm sure you do. Um, and I, I've been doing this. I graduated. Uh, I was graduated from NYU um, in 1999. So there have been a lot of kids since then. Um, it's hard, you know, and I want your, your listeners, uh, watchers, to be able to see who I'm talking about. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about Victoria. Okay. Victoria was um, adopted from overseas when she was very little. She came from Russia mm-hmm. and she came here and she was so she had been living in an institutional setting where she didn't get the sensory input that her brain and her body needed to feel comfortable and and grounded on planet Earth. So she gets pulled out of this rather unpleasant orphanage setting and brought to New York City with the most wonderful mother, who of course, you know, put her in this deluxe stroller and dressed her up so beautifully and took her out and bought her balloons and it was just wonderful. And oh my gosh, it was a disaster because her body, her nervous system just she couldn't take it. The feeling of wind on her arms, on her skin freaked her out. Um, it was just like, she never had it before. She was just not able to process that input. And, um, that that's just one of the things, I mean, she used to rock herself almost violently to sleep. She needed that much input. She was just, she was, she, she would say to herself, she was just so uncomfortable in her body. Um, and I worked with her through first through early intervention and then privately, and uh, they moved out of the city at one point, and uh, so I, I didn't continue to see her regularly, but we are still in touch. She's now in her second year of college, uh, four-year college, and this child who would race up and down the hall before our session, I'd be like, okay, Go run. And she would, you know, do wind sprints up and down the hall. Her PT and I would look at her, toe walking as well, and racing and think, she needs to become a runner. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we gave her a huge amount of vestibular input and, um, you know, lots of tactile input and, you know, every trick in my book, um, the physical therapist as well. and Victoria went to college on a scholarship as an expert uh, equestrian. Wow. Scholar. She's an incredible, she's a award-winning rider, and she's going to college to become an animal, a, a horse. I'm blanking out on the name, but to work with horses. Um, not as a veterinarian, but um, I'm, I'm blanking out on the name of what it is. Um, so people can actually go to my website and look at Fox health news and they can see Victoria and hear from her herself, uh, as well as from more from me, but mostly it's about her and her mom and the journey that they've taken. And I think she's one of my truly great success stories. And I'm so thrilled when people keep in touch. Yeah, I bet. That's brilliant. Call me college like i remember you you did this for me it's so cool
1: yeah i bet so so going back to what you said at the beginning about um your, your previous job and feeling bored writing for these things for the um spam mail it's not like that now is it no it's not <laughs> it's not busy and happy and enjoying it by the sounds of it yeah oh yeah, yeah. very rewarding um okay so i've just got a couple of things before we finish up and i'll let you get on because i know you've got really busy today Um first thing is i know because i've kind of looked at your book um why should people buy it what's the what what will they get
2: from it we wrote this book because i mean in the metro areas there there are a lot of occupational therapists who can work very closely with families um, and actually, even in places like New York City, the, the government has, is cutting back on services um, that people get. And the more I was out and working with people and getting emails from people, um, you know, through being an occupational therapist, just our, our national network, I, I learned that there's not that many sensory smart OTs Mm -hmm. Even in New York, in the U.S., in the U.K., I mean, and goodness, how about other areas where they've never heard of occupational therapy? Mm -hmm. So what I wanted to do, what we wanted to do is create um, a resource where parents could go and learn everything they need, right? Not how to do expert intervention. No one is asking a parent to... um, Become an interventionist, yeah. but what do I do if my child um, won't sit still at the dinner table? What do I do if my child won't allow me to put sunblock on mm-hmm. when it's sunny? What do I do when my child refuses to wear any clothes? Yeah. What mm-hmm. are the What are the techniques? What are the um, We call them parenting hacks. Um, where can I go for help? What are some ideas? How can I put together a sensory diet? Yeah. Um, who are the different players? How can I advocate for my child at school? And in the book, we talk about IEPs, which you probably don't
1: have. We, uh,
2: yes, kind you have of. Something equivalent? Yeah. Okay. But it talks about the basic advocacy skills, how to work with the administrators, how to work with the classroom teacher. That is universal, really. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to put together a huge toolbox and hand it to parents, as well as therapists who don't have the advanced training in sensory processing. Yeah.
1: Brilliant. And, and it does exactly that. It's, it's packed full of loads of those everyday situations that people are faced with which makes it really really practical handbook to um, raising a sensory child definitely okay last thing is a final message to the world If, if you if you could just send one message out to parents of sensory children that might help them what would your message be
2: i want to give you a little image an anecdote okay Let's say you take a paper plate and you go to a picnic and you're at the picnic and you get a a hot dog and you put it on your paper plate and you take get some chips and put that on your paper plate and you get some coleslaw and put that on your paper plate. And then you say, I would love some potato salad and you put that on your paper plate and the whole plate falls apart you need to figure out how much can you put on that paper plate before it's gonna fall apart. And at the same time, you need to have a stronger paper plate, right? I want you to think of your child's sensory system, or your own, if you have your own sensory issues, as that paper plate. Mm -hmm. There's only so much you can put on that, and you need to decide what you really need on it. Right, and experiment, oh, today can, can I put some potato salad on her plate today, right? And also you need to get the tools to have that stronger underlying ability to tolerate the inevitable sensory challenges that we all face out in the world. So it's, it's a, a balancing game, what yeah. we're doing. Pick your battles, try to keep your sense of humor, and try to be creative. Brilliant. Well, thank you very, very much,
1: Lindsay. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I would genuinely encourage anyone to go and buy your book because it really is just an absolute Bible for, for what people need, and there it is.
2: So really? thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thank you, much you so sure. much for having me. Best wishes. Thank you.
0: Yo. Wow, so what did you think of that then? Um, She had a nice voice. She did, didn't she? I thought that was really good. Um, A couple of points. One, how amazing is it? when somebody finds what they want to do. It's pretty much like me with Chewy... I don't Chewy. know what I'm doing in my mouth. It's pretty much like me and Chewy Gem. Um, sometimes you just fall into something, and it's just perfect. I'm falling into you. But um, what she's saying is exactly what I've said for years. It's just that she just actually says it much better. Um, so, you say everything the best, ma'am. But basically, so you're autistic but a lot of people think that your issues come down to your autism where i've always said that the it's often sensory. sensory it's the sensory processing that causes most of your issues so yes you're autistic and yes your autism does cause problems but the majority of your <laughs> issues are sensory processing so i think we need to get sensory smart yeah i i, I had i had um a meltdown on friday cuz i couldn't deal with the smell on the school trip at the recycling center yeah and the was- it was awful. Yeah, and see, you didn't. That wasn't because you're autistic. That's because I have sensory sensory processing disorder. disorder. Um, so yes, yeah, which so I mean, probably, prob- I probably have that because I'm autistic. But that's just getting into some madness. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, just love this one. Amazing. And like I said, what I've been saying for years, only much better. So now we need to get the book. Your book. So, um, <laughs> I don't know what that means. Right. We're off to watch the Snowman now. We'll see you again next week. Are you going to say bye, or you're just going to sit over there? Reverse, yo, which is totally a way of saying bye. Don't, don't complain, and wear your glasses. Do you know what?